Welcome back to another week of Latter Day Conversations, where we really have some very fun and intriguing conversations in these latter days um, and about some fun topics. Speaking of topics, if you guys have any topics you would like to have us discuss or something you'd just like to hear more about, feel free to enter into the comments below and let us know what you'd like to hear more about. Um, today, we got some more fun questions to go through. And this first one, I'm going to lead off over to Mike. Uh, and the question is this. Is Heavenly Mother doctrinally supported? If so, what do we know about her? All right, yeah, interesting topic for sure. Um, I I think this is relevant. A lot of people uh, get into this, and some more than less, and you know, uh, sometimes to extremes. And um, so, I, I think it's a relevant topic to to bring up. So, is is a mother in heaven doctrinally supported? Well, based on the scriptures man, we don't have like anything. Um, you know, we, we have terms like, uh, you know, heavenly father. And so by virtue of using that term, you know, which God has uh, delineated for himself of being our father, um, you know, logic, I think points us in the direction that, okay, it, it would follow that we also have a mother. Um, if you take into account modern day revelation and extra canonical stuff, um, we have a little bit, there aren't any like formal, like good, credible references of Joseph Smith teaching this very well. I think some people do say near the end of his life, kind of the last five years of his life that they personally taught him that doctrine. Um, and so I, you know, I think it's fair to say that that's probably accurate that Joseph Smith did teach us. Um, but mostly what he's stating is just that she exists, you know, or there is a mother in heaven and that's it. You know, so like when we get into this topic, I think we have to be careful because people love to elaborate and to draw all these implications and inferences and all these things. And it's like, we really don't know anything except the concept exists that there is a mother in heaven. Um, anything beyond that, I think is really speculative. And even though we might like to know more and, you know, it's interesting and curious, I agree. Um, but I like what Gordon B. Hinckley said on the, on the matter. He said, Logic and reason would certainly suggest that if we have a father in heaven, we have a mother in heaven. That doctrine rests well with me. However, in light of the instruction we have received from the Lord himself, I regard it as inappropriate for anyone in the church to pray to our mother in heaven. And there he also notes on this practice that some members get into of praying into mother in heaven. And guys, like even if you feel like doing something, I mean, the scriptures are clear on how we're supposed to pray and to whom we're supposed to pray. And uh, I think we'd do well to follow that advice. Don't just start making up your own rituals and practices and things. Even if it, you know, you're like, well, I, I want to attach to the, the female deity and stuff. And it's just, we have not been instructed there, you know? And, and so that's, anyway, I, I, I don't want to go too much on that tangent right now, but that's, that's how I'll start off tonight. I think mostly just saying we know very little and that's about it. <laughs> absolutely i'm a hundred percent in accord on that one and i'm actually glad you brought that up i was i was gonna ask you a question along those lines as well but uh you already addressed it prior to me even asking so that's really fun um but yeah it, it's exactly as you said and um i think that this is one of those doctrines where uh, we kind of have to go back to that basis that we've kind of touched on over and over and over again a few times you know that uh true saving religion um, or faith, or, or whatever you want to call it, uh, really comes from revelation, right? And so while there is not very much that has been revealed in this sense, um, there is enough to know for certain that there is a heavenly mother, uh, first and foremost. And second, that we have not, as you said, been instructed to pray to her. Um, and, you know, there can be, I'm sure, some speculative discussion. But uh, when it comes down to our salvation and exaltation, uh, we are saved uh, by our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and as Elder McConkie often puts, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Ghost. Um, but going back a little bit more to uh, this doctrine of a heavenly mother, what do we really know about her? Um, I would suggest first and foremost that she contains and maintains uh, those same perfections that our Heavenly Father uh, enjoys. Um, and this certainly would not be as doctrinally based as uh, anything else, but I feel like in these kind of realms where very little has been revealed, um, it must follow with logic or what we do know. And what we know is that she's an exalted being, right, to some degree. 
Um, and to be exalted, you have to live by those divine laws. Um, second off, we do know that Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother have procreated and created spirit children. The manner and means in which that occurs has not been revealed. Uh, in the early days of the church, there was a lot of discussion in regards to this, and, and there are various opinions, and will continue to be some until um, God deems it fit to reveal it to us. Um, but I suggest and suspect that we will learn much, much, much more about this uh, following the resurrection and during that millennial era. So um, you, you mentioned one, uh, some doctrinal aspects of, of this topic, uh, such as God and Heavenly Mother procreating. Um, and I know this can, this can kind of get in the weeds a little bit, too, because, you know, people bring up the King Follett discourse and talk about how Joseph Smith said that our spirits have no beginning or end and they're as eternal as God. So how could, you know, brings this question of, well, well, how in the world even is God our father? You know, what does that even mean anymore? Um, and do you have any thoughts on that one, Cade? Yeah. So this, this gets into a little bit of a, a deeper doctrine. I don't think I will delve fully into, uh, but I will make some suggestions and uh, those who are listening are more than welcome to maybe follow along. And hopefully this isn't too vague. Uh, but first and foremost, I would say in the terms of how Joseph Smith often addressed this kind of topic, where he goes and discusses essentially that there is no such thing as as created matter, right? That you cannot go out and, and create something in the sense that we often uh, talk about in religious circles where, you know, God speaks and poof out of nothing, it, it, it essentially appears, right? Um, but in a way where he, he discusses specifically in the King Fallout sermon, he, he addresses it like a boat. He, he says, you know, you, you use this Hebrew word, bro, or whatever, or however you pronounce it. And um, when they say, when they speak of it in that way, it is like a ship. You go and you organize a ship, you build it, you construct it, you take the materials and you put them together. And there is the final and finished product. Now, going back to uh, how Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother are our divine parenthood, um, obviously, to certain degrees, I don't believe we have obtained a solidity or validity in the aspect where we can say with 100% certainty, this is exactly how it occurs, especially when discussing our spiritual heritage. Our physical heritage, I believe, is a little bit more defined um, through scripture and, and modern prophets. Um, but going back to kind of our spiritual creation, just like you mentioned, nothing, uh, none of the elements are created. They are all eternal and will exist eternally. Um, as such, I imagine it to be similar to when we create children on this earth, that though um, we might not go about and magically poof there as a child, but, you know, the, the, the sperm of, of the male inseminates the eggs of, of the female, um, which had existed prior, and that there are these actual forces that existed previous to their, com their combining or their sealing aspect to one degree or another, um, which created life. Um, or in a more accurate term, organized life. Okay. So, so your idea, and I think you, you'd admit this one, you're not exactly sure on. You're just, this is how you've rounded it out and you're exact yeah. according to what you've read and stuff. Okay. Now I'm trying to put words in your mouth, but I'm, I was just assuming. So you think that the constituents we're made up of um, are eternal. And even though in this form or in our spirit form, we may not always have existed in you know to that full extent as a full spiritual being um until perhaps we were sired by heavenly father and mother yeah yep that's that, that's a great way to put it and okay. uh it, yeah yeah it does it does follow along fairly well with um in, in my opinion kind of what has been taught you know that we did exist as eternally as god did exist but not necessarily in that same form and so all the aspects of how that organization occurred i do not dare make a statement, but uh, I would suggest it, it did involve Heavenly Father and it did involve Heavenly Mother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I try to reconcile the King Follett discourse and the Sermon in the Grove, or is that what it's called? The other one that's like it? Yeah. Um, Sermon in the Grove um, with this idea of Heavenly Father being our, our actual Heavenly Father. That's how I've kind of reconciled it. And it seemed like Joseph Smith didn't adopt that distinction of calling you know, intelligences and spirits, different things. He just called it all spirit, you know? So I think maybe if he had adopted that distinction, he would have said in the King Follett discourse that our intelligence has no beginning or end, but that the spirit did have a beginning. 
Um, but I don't know. I mean, this is, this is pretty, you know, nuanced and um, we don't know very much. So I think that's how I would reconcile it in my head too. I'm a similar thing. Um, okay. So then there's also this topic, Cade. Um, some people, um, I don't know if this is more on women or men that think this. Um, I haven't taken a poll or anything, but I've heard this, that some people think that the idea that Heavenly Mother's job, you know, all we know is that she she procreates, you know, that they're having some procreative act all the time and she's maybe rearing spirit children or something. And then they, you know, it makes them reminisce to some, um, maybe their miserable circumstance that they've known in their life where they're, you know, women are just bearing children and taking care of children all their life. And, and in their perhaps myopic perception, they're thinking, well, this does not sound that nice, you know, is what you know is what are we to think about heavenly mother's um position is it just one of you know birthing children rearing children spirit children over and over throughout the millennia you know uh i don't know if you have any thoughts on that or <laughs> if you have such a degraded view as some <laughs> no that's that's a good question and i would suggest in a real way um that this life in, in very 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 many aspects is a preparatory state for the next life and in a real way you know we, we do teach a very traditional um order in 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 the church right and uh, I'll, I'll try not to step on the toes of the next question but um i i do believe that um in a real way we do just expand ourselves or or at least should in the next life from what we do in this life that uh, just as joseph smith and many others have taught that uh, the next life is not much more than and, you know, certainly I do believe, you know, you'll learn significantly more about the order of the world and and some pretty incredible things. Um, but in a real way, it, it's nothing more than just coupling what we do now and the organization we have now with uh, celestial glory. Um, and, and that's exactly how it is. And I think that it gets back to this base point to kind of address the concern of, well, are you just a childbearing machine essentially <laughs> engaged in the work of endlessly reproducing offspring right and I don't, I don't see it like that but i do genuinely believe that one of the greatest joys and there's a reason why it's one of the greatest joys if not the greatest joy in this life and in the next is to have seed it's to have children and families and to raise them to spend time with them to grow with them and that's not just a mother's responsibility in the full sense of of how that um, occurs um, but in a real way there is a lot to the family unit and there's a reason why it's touched on so uh, heavily uh, within the uh, religion of i guess what you would call mormonism or latter-day saintism yeah yeah i'm i'm with you i think um well first off you know there's when we are imposing our crude misrepresentation of the ideal of marriage and the union between a man and a woman you know, in circumstances that are very mortal and very unideal, you know, in, in many cases where the, the man and or the woman are abusing their, their role or not fulfilling it to uh, the fullest degree. Um, and we impose that picture upon God. We're caricaturizing him and, you know, assuming him with all these um, miserable circumstances and um, side effects that we have in our, our mortal circumstance, you know, such as like, you know, imagining that this uh, heavenly mother is like a barefoot and pregnant, you know, wife in the in the cabin while the, the man's out hunting and having fun, you know, it's like, can you really imagine the implications that you're putting here upon God and this, this uh, relationship, you know, uh, how, <laughs> why would you draw that conclusion? Why would you assume that's the way it is, you know? And, and also, I think in such a lowly state that we are at, at, in right now, you know, with our very finite uh, facilities and capacity um as far as mental <laughs> understanding goes i think it's very naive for us to assume that we can understand the i guess the society of god and also the role of heavenly mother just based on our finite and limited mortal understanding you know to think that um you know she's burdened or miserable in her circumstance is so naive of us um if we're thinking that you know it's like a child thinking that they can they can understand for a mother what it's like to be a mother and they can make their own judgment and say oh i don't want to be a mother like you're a child you know nothing you know when you get older there are many factors that will come into play and you might find 
that motherhood is actually a very fulfilling uh, and superlative lifestyle. And of course, there are circumstances where, you know, mothers have, you know, had to go through hardships and whatever, whatever circumstances in life make motherhood uh, quite burdensome. But I think ideally, it is the most fulfilling role for a woman to play, as is, uh, you know, fatherhood and husbandry for a man. So I think, you know, the same, we can just <laughs> at least, you know, give the benefit of the doubt to God that he is, you know, a perfect, uh, the best father, the best husband, you know, ideal, idealistic in every way. I can assume that the, the life of any of his spouses or spouse, <laughs> you know, would be of that same order. So I, I think these, these conclusions that we're drawing are premature and just flawed to such a degree that it's, it's probably embarrassing, you know, if we knew the truth. So just don't, don't go with these assumptions that, you know, oh, she's probably miserable. Oh, that's such a, you know, he's, he's probably like a toxic masculine God who's, you know, imposing these things that we see in the world on his wife. You know, it's, anyway, I'm, I'm talking too long on this, but I think it's just such a silly line of speculation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No. And I, and, you know, I'm honestly glad you kind of did talk about it a little bit more. It's, it's an aspect that I don't think that in a real way we understand at very least when we go about complaining about thinking about uh, these, these sorts of circumstances in such a derogatory manner, because they're not, they really aren't. God would not be God if he did not have that fullness of joy uh, essentially extending from him and, and his wife likewise. And, and I think that that's an important principle that we recognize that the family, the family unit is something so critical to our progression and our eternal potential um, in this life and in the next. And it is the great fulfillment of this life and the great fulfillment of the next that God is God because he has seed. Um, and that is a critical aspect of it. Um, if, if anything that we learn from modern revelations is that without marriage, without <clears throat> having seed, whether in this life or in the next, you will not be able to become a God. That is, that is the finality of, of angels is that they are not able to have that kind of extension of the family beyond the grave. Yeah. Yeah. That union is really for <laughs> procreating. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is an articulated doctrine to, to a degree that's, uh, I think, surprising if you come from a different context, a religious context. Um, and on that note, you know, if you go into Protestant branches of Christianity, uh, they very much look down on this, this idea that, you know, we're elaborating that there is a heavenly mother. Um, and they will criticize us and often Catholics, too, because Catholics, um, you know, they almost have the equivalent thing with their worship of Mary. Um, which in some ways they treat as, I mean, you know, the mother of God, the mother of Jesus. And in many ways, it's a similar concept. Um, and I have a, a good friend who's Catholic that I was talking with about this. And and he was like, yeah, it's interesting, the corollaries that uh, we have with, you know, your concept of heavenly mother and our concept of Mary. And I, I'm not saying, you know, we're the same, same way there or that it is the same concept. But anyway, um, in Protestantism, you know, I've, I've even some seen some people go so far as to commit condemn us to you know idolatry worship because we just say that heavenly mother conceptually exists um and they will compare it to the worship of asherah which you know is like one of the female goddesses of idolatry worship in the old testament they would make the asherah poles and pray to them and uh worship them and i've heard that you know people accuse us with that and it's like we're not worshiping her except those you know, mem members that are <laughs> abandoning the proper practice of prayer and praying to her. That's, that's infringing on weird ground there. But anyway, yeah, it is much different than the main Protestant belief on this topic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's actually a very well, a very, very good way to put it. Um, and it's, it's dangerous ground when you start, I don't know, encroaching on and, and, and I, I don't know, for me, I've never had issues like that. For me, it is logical and it just makes sense. You know, it's, it's never been one of those doctrines that I've, I've been confused with. But I think when you start branching into a bunch of different realms of, of religion where um, the second, you know, the, the life beyond this is very, very differently portrayed than what we believe and know. Um, and when you really believe in a family unit that extends beyond the grave in the sense 
that it's very critical that man and wife be together, that they can have seed. Um, it's it's very different than when you kind of just, you know, achieve nirvana or uh, just kind of sit around and sing songs and wave leaves or whatever, I guess people imagine that to be. I, I don't know. I, I think that um, if you really think about it, and I, maybe this is just a little bit of me talking, but you know, I, I feel like when most people get to the end of their life, no matter how much money they've achieved, no matter, you know, the great stories they've had, I'm sure many of them are grateful for a lot of the things they did, which is not a bad thing. Um, and, and it's not bad to, you know, strive to accomplish a lot in this life. Uh, but I think more often than not, those who have that opportunity to lie on a deathbed and basically contemplate their lives to some degree or another, recognize the importance of, of those close family members that they had. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that in the next life, it would be very dry and mundane if all you were to do was kind of play around with what I guess many people would imagine would be kind of magical powers almost. Um, but the, the reality is the main focus of this life and the next is the family. That that's the entire purpose of the gospel is it focuses on exalting families. And, um, and that's not an easy thing to do, but it is the most fulfilling thing that you ever can achieve. Yeah, and I love that doctrine, you know, how it elaborates this, this eternity full of progress and development and expansion, which are, you know, the main drivers for, you know, human beings. If you look at the, like, most compelling video games, usually they'll utilize this aspect uh, in the game where it, it compels you to play the game more by doing that, by progressing, by character development, by expansion of property, power, possession, you know, all those kind of things. Um, I think these are innate human qualities. And anyway, it, the video game reference is kind of weird, but I just find it interesting that the way they make a most compelling game is to utilize those <laughs> components of, you know, our interest, which is just innate to human beings. So it's interesting, but I love that doctrine in ours, um, as opposed to, you know, in other Protestant faiths, which I criticize a lot. Um, but yeah, you know, you ask them like, well, what are we going to do? And they're like, well, we'll sing praises to God. And will you know sit on a cloud playing a harp and it's like you know nothing about heaven like you're just <laughs> that's nothing you know you you don't know about it and, and granted we don't know a ton about it either but i think that does open up a, a lot of new doors that are is very interesting so um last thing i want to ask on this one Cade, to you is yeah. the answer to this question so why you know if heavenly mother or heavenly mothers um d- does or do exist why don't we see the mention of them in scriptures or her in scriptures? Why don't we talk uh, about her? That's a good question. And the short answer is we don't know. Um, there, I, I've, I've heard and my favorite uh, answer to this essentially is that God loves his wife enough that uh, he doesn't want her name desecrated along with his, uh, which I, I think has some serious merit to it. Um, Wait, you like that one? I do to to a degree. I don't. I don't think that that's the full, well-rounded answer to it. And all right, keep I talking. I don't, criticize I don't, that I don't, <laughs> Yeah, go go ahead and uh, <laughs> just just rail on it. But, but in a, in a real way, I I I don't know. I I do imagine God to be very very loving, and um, I don't know. I think that it's more. I think it's found more in Scripture and more throughout the Gospel than we do think. Um, not necessarily in a very detailed manner, but I do think that there are a lot and a lot of references that allude to the fact that there is a heavenly mother. Yeah. So, so, so um, yeah, I think your answer I would, I would give to a basically we, we don't know, you know, like none of the previous dispensations have had elaboration on this. When Christ was on the earth, he didn't elaborate as far as we have recorded his apostles immediately following him didn't elaborate on this. And, um, you know, we all throughout the dispensations, we, we don't know. It's a mystery that, that is very mysterious. Um, and some people, you know, speculate very far on it. But bottom line, I think we don't know. But um, in in response to your <laughs> your idea there that you were repeating, I mean, I've heard that circulated, too. But as I think about this, here's here's my take on it. OK, so if the idea is that God wants to protect Heavenly Mother, you know, out of reverence for her by mm-hmm. um, not disclosing her name. Let me ask this. Well, do we know Heavenly Father's name? What is his name? Fair. Like, we, we don't know his name. I mean, any name you oppose will just be a title. Like, Elohim is just the plurality of power. I mean, it's just a Hebrew equivalent of just saying God or, 
you know, almighty powerful being or something, you know, and heavenly father is just as much a name as heavenly mother. So in that sense, we do know her name just as much as we know heavenly father's name. So I think by that logic alone, that that point doesn't really hold up. That's a fair point. Although I, I, I think to some degree, even though we don't necessarily address God by his, you know, actual given name or whatever, um, I, I do think that, you know, desecrating his title or, or you know, just the, the words that we use that describe who he is um, still kind of rubs it through the, the garbage a little bit. And so I think there's a little okay. bit of merit. But like I said, I do not believe it to be the full, well-rounded answer to um, this, nor do I believe it to actually entail, you know, um, in any sense of the word of being complete. Uh, but I do yeah. see a little bit of merit in that answer, not necessarily to a degree. And I, I agree with you. You know, we, we definitely don't have, uh, you know, God the Father's name or, you know, perhaps we do. But that's a, that's a story for another time. Um, and uh, <laughs> okay, okay. I could I could see you there. <laughs> and and, um, and um, I don't know. I, I do think that regardless of whether or not we use his, his primary name, uh, we definitely have titles that we definitely abuse. Um, and in a real way, yes, we can get into the semantics and, and maybe even a little more in depth of the definition of, you know, thou shalt not, um, you know, uh, essentially take the, the name of the Lord in vain, right? Uh, whether it's actually, you know, imploring in certain actions and directions that um, might drag that through the mud, or maybe it's something more temple related, or maybe it's just the simple act of, of cursing, right? Of, of you know, swearing in God's name as we have been commanded not to. Um, but to some degree or another, I do think that we do drag God's name and who he is through the mud a little bit, um, essentially condemning ourselves to a degree when we do that. Um, and I think to some degree, yes, he does protect his wife. Um, but I also think in a real way, we just don't know. Um, it, it honestly surprises me how much it is discussed and disclosed that there is you know, a heavenly mother, but how vague and um, subjective a lot of those references are. Yeah, I'm with you. And I can follow that sentiment to a degree that you're talking about there. And I think it follows God's nature that, you know, he is loving, you know, to the most, the highest degree. And, um, you know, it would follow that he'd want to protect his wife because, you know, the masculine role of protector would take force there. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a, it's an interesting idea. And there may be other conflicts too with like, I can't find any like relatable analogy or analogous scenario where that same train of action would lead to protecting a person. Like, can you imagine, you know, if I was so scared that people would, you know, look bad at my wife or cat call her or whistle, you know, or like call her a bad name that I just said, no one must know you exist. And I just leave her <laughs> locked in the house. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's too dangerous out there. You know, you got to be like Rapunzel and I'm the evil stepmom. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, and I don't mean to make too light of it because, you know, it, it could be perhaps I, I'm not as persuaded on it, but I don't want to make fun of it, you know, because this is, you know, if it is God's behavior and his choice to, you know, protect his, his wife or wives, um, then, you know, so be it. And his, his ways are higher than mine. Uh -huh. it, it is interesting. And, and also I keep making reference to the plurality part. I think that's a funny thing when people talk about heavenly mother, especially these like kind of activist women members who are, you know, borderline leaving the church um, that uh -huh. are praying to heavenly mother. You know, they, they never mentioned the plurality part. I'm like, well, it's, you know, if you're going to build off of this <laughs> fundamental doctrine that you get from Joseph Smith and from Doctrine and Covenants and all this stuff, then you got to get the point that, yeah, it, God is a polygamist, you know? So like, mm -hmm. I don't know, was your heavenly mother different than my heavenly mother? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, we, we really just know so little. So we really have to just plead ig ignorant in this uh, case, I think. You know, I, I know that this is another tangent and we've already gone a bunch, but I'm just going to send it anyway. Um, okay. But <laughs> I don't know. I think that this is an interesting topic. And, and I think I've alluded to this in the past a few times, but there's a lot of different religions that kind of overlap to a degree into our religion. They almost give insights in our religion that we don't find in regular canonized scripture, in, in my opinion, just to a small degree. I, I think you got to just like the apocrypha, you got to take like Hugh Nibley here. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I hear Hugh Nibley coming on. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I just want to suggest I think it's interesting uh, that when you go through different types of theologies, for example, Greek or Roman or 
um, any of the Norse mythologies, that you have these godlike figures who go and descend and have children with other women. And I, I think that there's a lot to this that we definitely don't understand. And it's not the degree that we see men in this life go about being lustful and committing adultery. But I think it's a very interesting topic that uh, possibly sheds light into certain aspects of the gospel that we don't talk about. Yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> all I will say. <laughs> and I'll just end by asking a few questions. How was Adam born? How was Mary impregnated? And how um, is she still a virgin? Yes, there are many, many questions. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm with you. I think mostly here, it is fascinating, mysterious. Um, we don't know. We don't know so much. So be careful on your speculation, you know, when you're saying like, oh, her name's Sophia, or she's the Holy Ghost, or all these different things. Like, okay, guys, we don't know anything. Like, be careful, you know. Notice that it is speculation. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, but uh, I, will say, I will say that there are some interesting mysteries that uh, can be uh, revolved. And, um, and I don't know, God does reveal some interesting things sometimes, but uh, definitely keep a firm foundation on some of the more basic principles, I, I would suggest. Um, but anyway, aside from my fun little tangent, before <laughs> we good start stuff. digging in the weeds. Wow, this is such a big topic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a pretty big one. Okay. Anyway, um, so it's my turn to ask you, right? The next one. You want to move mm -hmm. on? All right. Well, we're, we're staying kind of uh, around the same area, but uh, hitting the other angle of it. What does it mean to preside in the home? And of course, this might open up the discussion of patriarchy in general. Uh, good question. Uh, presiding in the home, I think, is similar to um, presiding in other areas in the church. Um, I, I think I've discussed this a few times before, but it, there's a lot of analogous relationships between Christ and the church, uh, the man and the woman presiding. Um, and, I, and I think that that's essentially what it, what it comes down to is just as Christ presides over his church, um, so the man should preside over his home. That, uh, you know, there is authority that is had and there is order that is given to some degree. Um, and it's not some dictatorship where it's a cruel tyrant that just rains down hell upon his wife. Um, but it's a loving relationship, and 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 Paul alludes to this multiple times um, in the scriptures as well. But I think that it really is this kind, loving, nurturing relationship where both build up each other, and one is not without the other. And if it ever is, then the other is completely lost and void, because um, Christ without those that He saves is no savior in a real way. Um, and and um, I don't know, not getting too in depth in some of these more interesting things, but I, I genuinely believe that when a man presides in the home, he, he does so through kindness and, and love, and, and it doesn't necessarily make him not equal with his wife. Um, and I think that's where, in, in, in the way, the analogous relationship between Christ and the church changes a little bit in a, in a real home, um, that that the man and the wife are both mortals, that we are not gods, um, at least not yet. And to achieve that, it has to be obtained through the man and the woman uh, being sealed together uh, through the patriarchal order of the priesthood. Um, and to truly progress through that sphere and order um, to a point where uh, both parties enjoy the blessings fully of that, that priesthood order. Yeah, um, you hit on some good things there. I think uh, taking the accountability, you know, leading, guiding, um, walk beside those are great. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I find that this is a topic that people are often uncomfortable with. No one wants to answer this question. Um, and when I say this next part, in no way don't um, construe this that I am criticizing the Brethren or General Conference speakers, but even in General Conference, I noticed this topic is... They're very dainty with it. Like sometimes water it down even. Um, <laughs> you know, like no one wants to just be bold and say to preside is to be president. Like that's the same word, at, at least. And I'm speaking, this is, this is my, my words. So, you know, I'm not imposing this on the church and saying this is, this is exactly how it is. You know, this is my thoughts, my understanding from my study of it. But it comes from the same root word. And I think the man is designated as the president, the presider in the home. And that comes with responsibility and accountability to, a, I think, a different degree. Um, and 
in the scriptures, you see this. I mean, the scriptures are replete with, I mean, they're dominated by the patriarchy and not in the toxic sense that, you know, our modern um, era would describe it as, but in a very good sense. I think the patriarchal order is God's order. You know, you see it from Adam to Noah to, you know, Moses and David and, um, you know, all the way through, through all of time. That is always the order by which God has worked. And when the church has become so big that it's not one um, patriarchal system, you know, like it was in Adam's time and uh, all those ones I mentioned, then he gets, you know, more ecclesiastic and, you know, calls like apostles or elders or brethren that are called as teachers and priests and all those things. Um, And so that's the practical solution to the problem. But ideally, it is the patriarchy that is the system of government for society. Um, on the small level, and I think on the grand level, uh, God is the ultimate patriarch of our whole family, of all all beings, um, and Christ acts as a patriarch in that way. You know, we are we are the church, and we are married to Him. We are the bride, and He is the groom. If you follow the analogy that's given in scriptures over and over again, um, so you know, I think many people criticize this topic. They say patriarchy is just a man-made um, social structure where they impose their power on women, and blah 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 blah. Well. I, I don't mean to make light of circumstances where men are abusive and dominate and, you know, they abuse their power and exploit the weak. And that's horrible. That is not godlike. But in the ideal system, patriarchy is the rule. Um, and I think it is functional and ideal. It's the way God has established and designed this. Um, so in the ideal circumstance, if a man follows his role and a woman, you know, follows their role, it is the most complementary relationship that can possibly exist for all members of that society. So I'm getting way off topic, but to preside in the home, I think to, means to take the lead, to take accountability, to take responsibility for what happens and what ensues and provide, you know, for the spiritual teaching in the home, make sure that happens. You're accountable for it. Um, and also, you know, serve as a protector and a provider of those needs for your family. Um, but yeah, really taking the lead and acting as, you know, the decision maker for the vital spiritual needs of the family. Absolutely. Um, and I actually, I, I love one of the things you said, you said that um, as in this patriarchal order that the, the father um, presides and um, takes basically responsibility for these things. And, and I think that's an in, important topic um, that kind of highlights a little bit more of this presiding aspect that um, just like you said, Throughout all scripture, there is a very, um, from, from the temple, from the scriptures, from everywhere, there's a very, very critical role for men. And that role comes with very, very much responsibility. Um, but the responsibility we hold essentially will condemn us or exalt us, um, especially the more covenants you make and the more responsibility you get, right? As the scriptures basically say that uh, where much is given, much is required. Um, and, and that's, that's a very tough thing. And I think that, uh, we can always get into these differences and say, well, why do men get this? And why do women get that? Or why do men not get this? And why do women not get that? And, and we can always, you know, converse about man against woman and woman against man. But the reality is that the patriarchal order is provided to exalt both. Um, and the only way to do that is with them working together. And so I, 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 I don't know. I think when we get into this, just like you said, there are a lot of cultural aspects that really um, persuade us to be kind of dainty with. And, and honestly, it's not just this topic. It's almost every topic. And, and that's the fact of reality, that the gospel is almost always, at least right now, until, until we live in a higher order, it's always going to be against the views of the world. And if we compare this with the views of the world or, or limit the gospel to the views of the world, then patriarchy and, and, and the true fashion of it would be heretical. If we if we limited any other aspect to the views of the world, it would be the same. And that is why prophets have been killed in the past and will continue to be killed in the future. Uh, because the gospel is a gospel of, of power. And that power is rebuked often by satanic influences. And so I think it's very important that we recognize that this patriarchal order is an important blessing. It is the order of heaven. It is the way by which man and woman become one. It is the way by which we obtain the blessings from heaven and truly receive the rights of the firstborn. 
And um, when we treat it lightly, when we go about and essentially dumb it down and, and, and scrape the surface of it, we don't enjoy the blessings that come from, from participating fully within that patriarchal order. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I you hit it on the head. It's, and this is a huge topic. We won't, uh, we won't go all into the, like, I guess we could go more into like patriarchal stuff in another time. And also the family man, because that's a whole topic on its own. Right. Like, especially in these days, um, Satan is not trying to hide his tactics as president Nelson said, and those tactics are to disintegrate the family. And you see this conspicuously in, in different organizations and in different uh, facets of society where, you know, the government is subsuming the role of father and it incentivizes homes where it's a single parent, a, a mother, you know, taking care of children and, and all these things. And you notice that those specific factors that are incentivized by the government and the setup here um, lead to poverty and crime to the utmost extent. And these are really the drives for a degenerated society. And economists, some of them will, will point this out, but uh, many times people don't want to know those facts, you know, and, and it's a, man, it's a huge topic. We could spend so much time in it, and I think we should. Maybe we'll open up that another time. But I, I do find that interesting. And uh, some organizations conspicuously <laughs> will even pose to, they'll even describe the, you know, these objectives. Um, I won't name any, but disintegrating the nuclear family uh, is is one in particular. Um, if you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so yeah, that's we should we should open that up uh, another time too, if you'd like. But uh, as far as presiding in the home uh, for a man to preside, I hope that clarifies it a bit. Uh, how do you feel on it, Cade? Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's good. I, I think I mean, there's that common reference in DNC 121 where it, it talks about the powers of the and influences of the priesthood and how they ought to be maintained. And I'd suggest those who want to learn more, go and, and study those those terms and phrases and and means by which um, priesthood authority ought to be administered. Um, and there is that caution, I think, as well, where it, it does suggest some. I, I think it's in the same chapter that uh, it's essentially the. The drive of almost every man that as soon as he gains some power, he seeks after more. Um, and so as long as the authority is used and restrained within the order, which it was ought to be given and, and ought to be maintained, that it will be um, done in the proper order. Now, I know that's fairly subjective and, and, and you know, whatever, but, but in a real sense, the gospel touches on this well enough with those basic godlike attributes and characteristics that if you develop those if you are charitable and kind and and patient and meek um that everything pretty much goes pretty well um honestly if you just stick with charity everything else kind of falls in place but um yeah i think that's a, a pretty good summation of the importance of it at very least yeah yeah i agree so presiding yeah means leading guiding um uh, being accountable taking walking responsibility, <laughs> walking deciding as i equipped before um so yeah i think it, it's a powerful thing and the patriarchy in general powerful but um as you said with great power great responsibility was that peter parker's uncle something to the equivalent yeah. um <laughs> anyway um so that, that idea, yeah, I think is true and it applies. And the, the patriarchy also, when abused, brings great destruction. And sadly, many children, women, um, and you know, whole societies have crumbled and suffered under the unrighteous rule of an unrighteous patriarch or uh, tyrant. And that is not God's way. Um, but don't let that poison the concept of patriarchy in general as, as a you know, structure. Because it's it's it does not mean that it is a flawed system, just that it is implemented in a flawed way. So, all right. Well, I, I've said all that I need to on that one, and um, we can move on if you'd like, Cade. All right. Well, let's uh, round this out real quick. Uh, this last question we have here is: Where are all the men in the church? Women are more present and active than men overall in the church. Why is this? Are women more righteous? Is the church aimed more at appealing to women than men? Okay, so um, in that question, we do have the, this presupposition that um, women are more present and active than men overall in the church. Now, I didn't look up stats. Um, I was kind of just going off of like basic uh, my common sense. I, I think that's true, 
Uh, do you think so, Kate? Is that your perception that there are like more active women overall in the church and men seem to be a little disengaged, if not just not active and, you know, not present? Uh, it does seem to be that way, uh, at least I would say in the Utah area. Yeah. And I think even in Africa, like they, they really have a um, deficiency of, priesthood of holders. yeah priesthood holders. So maybe the same thing there. Okay. So if we can assume that that's true, um, then we can explore why it is the case. We know the what, what is the why? Um, I, there could be lots of reasons. I mean, we're kind of speculating here, but can we assume that women are more righteous? Um, I don't know. Like that's, that's hard. I mean, should we assume that the righteousness of heavenly father's spirit children are equally proportioned among the, the genders, you know? Uh, I, I don't know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and if, if they were like, you know, women were more righteous and God designed them that way, it would kind of be like, wait, why didn't you just design us to be more righteous? You know, it's like, comes into weird questions there. So I don't know on that one. Um, but I will say that men in, you know, we're in different circumstances and I think that plays a part of how we'll be judged. And I think men have a somewhat higher responsibility in in their roles with being a you know the presiding patriarch in the family where that is you know the case um, when you're building a family i think this idea of a woman being accountable to the man and the man to god which is taught in scriptures um does apply to a degree and it doesn't mean that you know if the man's wicked that the whole family falls and that the woman can't have a connection to god or anything like that so don't don't draw that speculation but i think there is some responsibility there and um I think in many ways, we as men have kind of uh, let go uh, let go of the reins too much, and in some ways, are I don't know, have just become disengaged. Like maybe it's because of our modern era, we don't uh, find the fulfillment of you know being the protector, the you know hunter providing in very manifest ways to our family, which I think would be fulfilling. You know, if, if I went out and shot a deer and carried it home on my shoulders to my family, you know, I'd feel so manly and I would, I would feel so important. You know, I'd be like, there, I am meaningful. I am a, you know, important man who is, who is providing the needs of my family. I think that would, (laughs) that would be like satisfying (laughs) to me in a way. (laughs) And, uh, you know, if I had to protect my family from some, you know, animal, like a ravenous wolf or something, and I, I went out with a hatchet and killed it or something, you know, like on a loan or one of those <laughs> survival shows that too would, would feel fulfilling and invigorating for me. And I think, um, in those ways I might be more engaged as a, you know, a father. I, I don't know. I'm really speaking out loud here. Um, but today where, you know, the jobs are not demanding of our physical fitness and many men just become old fat and, you know, kind of soft, <laughs> you know, and their, their kids look to him and they're like, I'm supposed to look up to this man, you know, I'm supposed to look up and be like this man. And I think in many ways that hurts the self-esteem. And if men, you know, don't feel the self-esteem and they don't feel as important or wanted or needed, you know, and the government's filling the role of protector and provider, you know, if their family's living off the government to some degree. And anyway, there are all these influences that I think take away from the fulfillment of man and leave him as some kind of disengaged man who doesn't feel needed, doesn't feel important. And, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to paint the scenario here, but there are lots of, lots of things to just think out loud right now, but that's, that's how I'll start out on, on my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that's a very interesting aspect to take into Maybe I, I think maybe we go about and should just dress in camel next time we go to work and sit down at our computers and imagine that we uh, bring a more literal uh, fulfillment uh, providing <laughs> for our families. I don't know. Um, no, but I, I think that that kind of touches on a little bit of what I think and and whether or not this is true. I'm going through a, a few research right now just to see uh, church attendance between the, the two sexes. And it does look like men might attend more than women uh, overall. What? Yeah. The pew? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But uh, I don't know how, how recent that is or how accurate that might be. Um, but anyway, the I, I do agree. And on the premise that women do attend more than men, I think that uh, one factor is that just kind of like we talked about, I don't think that men properly preside in the home. Um, And I think that affects church attendance drastically. Um, My experience, at least in knowing most of my friends and and growing up in Utah, at least in the neighborhoods that I was in, 
was that a lot of the men just didn't lead their family in, in prayer and scripture study. They didn't preside in the way that they have been commanded to. And yeah, it, more often than not, the woman was the one that, that picked up the slack, sadly. Right. And doesn't that seem like a contrast from the early church? I mean, you've read a lot of church history. You see mm-hmm. the men are the ones that are instigating this. They're excited. They're like the passion of the church, you know, and, and the women are too. But like the men are so engaged in the early church, like with, with Joseph Smith and Parley Pratt and, you know, Heber C. Campbell and all these early church leaders. The men are, I mean, they're going out on missions, they're doing stuff and um, they're so engaged. And that seems, man, what a contrast. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I, I think it's very sad. And I definitely have my own views on certain things of, of how things ought to be policy wise and whatnot. But I won't get into that because that's not my right or role. Um, trickle up we, revelation come on <laughs> it's, it's like trickle down economics but backwards <laughs> <laughs> yeah no um no but i i don't know I, I think that that's a really good point that i one of the reasonings i would put to this without uh, getting into any policy or whatever i think I, I i genuinely think that most men don't understand the responsibilities that have been given to them i know at least in my case and i'll, I'll give my example for one uh growing up and, and receiving you know the office being ordained to offices in the priesthood um, and receiving, you know, the ironic and Melchizedek priesthood. I didn't know a lot about that or the responsibilities that came with it very less. Um, and I think that that's an important aspect of it. Um, that it's almost made into this age group where you turn 12 and that's just what you do. You turn 18, 14, 16. It's, it's just kind of what happens rather than, Hey, this is a commitment. This is a, a, a responsibility this is you know to some degree it's it's a covenant between you and god uh, you will make an oath before him um and and i think that that's taken more lightly than it ought to now i don't think that this suggests you know this this supposed gender gap between men and women in in activity rates in the church i don't think that suggests that women necessarily are more righteous than men um i guess yes to the degree it, it would prove that would be that they actually are going to church so yeah i guess in that way that they are um but i don't know i I think that there's a lot that can go into everything and 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 righteousness really is determined in an individual level as well as a societal level um and as a culture and as a society men just haven't in the last you know 50 or or 30 at least you know or i I guess since i've been alive I'll, i'll speak for myself on this one for the last 20 years and there hasn't been a whole lot of men fulfilling the roles that they have been commanded and are responsible for fulfilling, mainly being presiding in the home. And secondly, if not first, um, fulfilling their priesthood responsibilities and obligations. Yeah. And, you know, as, as is the case with many problems, um, you know, one problem often perpetuates another or exacerbates the issue. And I think that's the case here where if you have a man who is, failing in his role and his position, it weakens the whole system that he's involved with, you know, like it just trickles around. And since we're using that word, like um, if he is not filling his role, the woman feels the need to um, compensate and to act as the patriarch and to take over. She's like, he's not going to do it. I can't trust him. I got to do it. And then she becomes overburdened and stressed and um, exhausted by you know, trying to fill the, the ro- two roles um, with just one person. And you have this disengaged man and a woman who's exhausted by trying to, you know, do both things and get the kids ready and take them to church and the dad stays home or something. And this is just, you know, an awful scenario. And then what happens to the family? Um, you, you have that discord and estrangement and those, that strain. And I think it just, it, it just continues on. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, yeah, go ahead. And I think even just to add a little bit more to this dilemma, I, I think there's this aspect of, of almost a compound effect where if, you know, you have a quorum of elders and, you know, half of them, yeah, they attend church sometimes and they'll sometimes fulfill some of their responsibilities, which I think is more common than not right now. I think that's a fair assumption to make for a lot of quorums, um, whether they're elders or priests or teachers or deacons or whatever it might be. Um, but when you have that kind of a, a culture or that aspect of, of, of almost a, a dwindling faith um, within those quorums, it, it affects those that are around you. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to a meeting where you, you're talking to someone they just, I mean, they have this zeal, this excitement, this, this vigor, um, and, and they are fulfilling it. They have that light about them, you know? And, and I think that's a real thing and it really can be received 
uh, at very least shared when you're around them. And so I think when you start having these men that aren't fulfilling the roles, it, it spreads like a plague or it can if you let it. Um, and it's it's very dangerous. And and now I, that's true just as much for women as, as it is for men. I, I have my own thoughts on Relief Society meeting and, and whatnot, and so do a few of my women friends. Um, but but I, I think that there are aspects that we can change. And you can be that zealous person. You can be that faithful member of the priesthood or, or a faithful wife, uh, a faithful president of a Relief Society. You can be a faithful mother, a father, a sister or a brother. Um, and that is what we all are. And so I think it's important regardless of, of the attendance of your church, whether there's 100 males and 50 females or 50 uh, fe females and or vice versa. I said it the same way twice. Um, shows how far along I'm getting in life right now. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Is that about females? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the reality is regardless of, of the attendance rates based off gender or or race or anything else you know yes we can make our assumptions yes we can do this and that but ultimately when it comes down to it the only real aspect we can affect is ourselves and by doing that we can truly start changing the lives of those that surround us so if, if you're noticing that in your ward if you're noticing dwindling rates in, in, in your priesthood calling well how do you change that and in, in a real sense you got to change you you have to enjoy the gospel <laughs> it's got to be that enjoyable thing and I think when we make it this boring, drab, dry, surface-level crap, there's no wonder they're not showing up to Elder's Core meeting. There's no wonder Relief Society is just these storytellings. <laughs> if, if we don't read our scriptures, if we don't understand what we believe and know what we believe, what are we even talking about anyway? Is it really revealed religion that we're discussing, or is it Joe and Sally's thoughts? Well, and, and I think those are questions we ought to ask ourselves. And so I think, you know, as Michael Jackson eloquently said, you know, if you, if you want to make a change, look at the man in the mirror and, and make that change. So, wow. Such a good reference. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I can't attest to his uh, moral reputation, but <laughs> I do like that song. Um, man, well put. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Lift where you stand. I mean, and, and this is on both sides. We're kind of making a dichotomy here where, you know, women are these angels and men are just these, you know, awful brutes that, you know, can't, pick up the slack and that's not I, the case I you know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so i'm you know generalizing too much here maybe but um there are many you know powerful and strong men that i i have been influenced by in my life i have um wonderful dads it's not what you think i have a stepdad and a <laughs> and my <laughs> my dad so i both have been a part of my life and a stepmom and a mom because my parents were divorced um but yeah, I have wonderful men in my life um, who have been great examples to me. Um, but yeah, I think they're, you know, also <laughs> struggles that we have. And, and I'm not going to pretend to be, you know, holier than thou and, you know, uh, better than everyone. Um, but man, I, I have been in some words where it has been a struggle. Um, one word in particular, I, I was, um, man, I was, you know, calling people to, to speak in elders quorum and, um, man, they were just so flaky. And so it was just pathetic. I, I was like, you know, and then I'd ask for help to shovel the, the church before church and I'd be the only one to show up or, you know, all these things. And I'm like, men, where are you, man? This is pathetic. You know, like show up. Do you even believe in this? You know, where's your passion? Where's your energy? Where is your conviction? And, you know, it's, it, that's a sad scenario to be in. Um, I think, you know, it's kind of comically, but sadly referred to in, in like the RM um, singles ward kind of movies. We had a few of those in like the early 2000s. Um, if you're in like Utah Mormon culture, you definitely would have seen those. Um, but they depict the elders quorum and release society classes. <laughs> and they juxtapose them in a way where you see the contrast where, you know, the women, it shows release society and they've got a doily on the, the table and someone spent so much time making the like Salt Lake City replica as the centerpiece of the table and you know they're giving this very heartfelt lesson and everyone all the women are crying and they all have tissues out and they ask someone to say the prayer and all the women raise their hand and um then they show elders quorum and you know they're like does anyone uh, want to read this and no one has their book no one wants to pray they're all looking down at their um equivalent of phones i think it might have been like <laughs> yeah palm pilots <laughs> but uh anyway you know they show that contrast so you know some people have you know got this perception that we're talking about and it is it is dreadful and you know i think it's kind of comical how it's portrayed there but it is a dreadful scenario and i think that's a huge problem but 
yeah, it goes both ways to some degree. I think that's just one that we've noticed. And what, one quote comes to my mind, Cade. Um, President Nelson said this to, to the women in uh, one of the sessions of the 2019 October General Conference. He said, let me be very clear about this. If the world loses the moral rectitude of its women, the world will never recover. And that sounds ominous. I'm like, holy cow, you know, that's bleak. But um, I, I don't know what, is it, what it is about that. Like, I think the moral rectitude of men has often been compromised throughout the world's history. Um, but the, when a society loses the moral rectitude of its women, I think that's the culmination of its wickedness. Yeah, I love that. I almost don't even want to say anything else. That's a, that's a great way to to put it and I, I think that's a very important policy i i guess i will i have i have one more thing i'll say and this might be a little bit of another can of worms but i, I don't know i think one other aspect of possibly where there is this um rm uh, that the movie the rm uh kind of an aspect within within priesthood holders within men in the church i think part of it to some degree comes down to to having purpose right you, you mentioned earlier and, and this got me thinking and I think this would be part of my answer for that. But uh, you, you mentioned, well, early in the church, you know, there were these men that were zealous. I mean, <laughs> they were the definition of the word. And, and and today we definitely have much, much, much fewer of that. But I think part of that comes down to this. I, I, I would think on, on top of the other two situations and scenarios I put, I think that uh, having a purpose, having having this almost adventurous lifestyle, this this common goal that you're all striving towards, right? Like uh, for the first, I mean, seventy years of the church, it was hard hitting on on establishing Zion. You know, gathering Israel is is kind of what's coming around the corner. That's that's our focus today. But but I mean, go to the temple. We still are here to build up Zion, and and I think that uh, we just haven't found the points of, of of searching after that that we ought to but there's good reason for that i mean how many of us even read our scriptures anymore how many of us you know do any of these things and, and i think that there are reasonings behind that but but i think to some degree to some aspect there is that um that commonality of, of having that common goal or a common enemy or, or, or whatever that uh, distinguishes us from those early saints that were truly so zealous yeah man yeah, I think uh, that's that's a huge thing. If we if we could have men like that today, you know, in every family, man, like I feel like it would apply how um, I think it was Mormon that said if all men were like Moroni, you know, the very powers of Satan would or tremble or whatever, you know, that pretty much he would be thwarted. Um, he would make no progress on us if if all men were like you know Moroni or or those men. I think because society is built up of family units, which is built up of individuals, which is led by, you know, the, the man and a woman, you know, to rear the children, like such great influences. Um, and if you had men and women like that, that were just strong and, you know, vigilant and zealous in every family, there would probably not even be need for like police, you know, I, I mean, for internal affairs, that society would not really need anything. They would be Zion. Um, you know, they might have to protect themselves against other civilizations that are not living to that standard, or maybe they'd have to be lifted up into the sky and float off, but <laughs> like Enoch, um, that's the goal. They, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, it's, it's crazy. And I was thinking also, um, oh, what was the, oh yeah. Um, this thought. So you remember how in Alma 32, Alma is preaching to the, what is it? The Zoramites. Uh-huh. And he's telling him like, Hey, you guys are really poor. So, you know, you're humble. That's great. And, uh, and so this is, this is perfect. Cause you guys will listen to me. You'll listen to me preach and you'll hear what I'm saying. But he's like, eh, and some of you, you know, I'm not saying all of you are just humble merely because you're poor. Maybe some of you would have humbled yourself, even if you weren't poor. And, um, that concept I think applies too with this, um, this type of man. There's a saying that weak times make weak men or, you know, easy times make weak men, hard times make strong men. Um, and I don't, I think there's more to that saying. I can't remember the precise. Um, yeah. I think quote. it's, it's something along the lines that uh, hard, hard times uh, make strong men, strong men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make hard times, hard times which make strong men. 
right? Something yeah. Like okay. So the connection with the times and men and men and times. Yeah. So I think that applies. And right now times are easy. And I think many of us men are weak, you know, <laughs> physically and, and uh, in many other aspects. And I think, you know, we can apply this concept of the Zoramites where you can, you don't need to be compelled to be humble. You don't need to be compelled by hard times to be strong. Um, you know, impose your own um, exercise physically and spiritually exercise yourself, be fit spiritually and physically. Don't let yourself get soft and lazy and, you know, not reading your scriptures, neglecting to have a testimony because you just aren't opening them up. Um, you know, I, I feel like I shouldn't be an outlier, outlier because I regularly study the scriptures and pray and, you know, try to do these things. <laughs> but in many times I feel like I'm an outlier. I'm like, what's going on here? Am I the only one that's reading the scriptures? But um, <laughs> anyway, the answer is just... yes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I know I sound so egotistical right now, but yeah, it's, it's a sad reality in some ways. No, in my ward, I do have a pretty good ward. I know there's some really good guys. But anyway, I just that idea, you know, we don't have to wait for hard times. But trust me, um, times will get hard before Christ comes again. Very, very hard. And if you're soft and weak and you don't have the respect of your family um, because you've just been soft and lazy and you haven't, you know, held boundaries and been a good moral uh, instructor and leader, um, then you'll crumble. Your family will fall. I think that's why they're stressing so hard. Like, you know, you got to get a testimony or else you're not going to make it. Yeah. And I I would suggest, you know, in the next 20, let alone 50 years that uh, anyone else in this church that uh, desires to stay here, uh, whether they're a man or a woman, um, there will be very, very, very few, if any, um, that don't do those things that keep them uh, steady and steadfast. Uh, the, the, the kind of zeal, the kind of uh, testimony and faith, uh, which is an actuating verb, um, is going to have to significantly excel where we're at, at average right now. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, man, this is a good conversation. Um, one that I feel like there's so much to be said. So maybe we'll have to elaborate more questions and put them together and talk more about this topic. If you guys, as you've been listening, have thought about certain aspects of our discussion that have been more relevant for you in your life, or you have a different angle you want to hit it on, or, you know, shoot us a question. Look at the Google form in the show notes and send it our way. We would be happy to address it. Um, But yeah, we've had a lot of good topics and a lot of good discussion today. Oh, all right, Kate, anything else you, you wanted to add? Yeah, no, um, just uh, follow Michael Jackson's quote, but not his moral standards. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, you, if you want to make the world a better place, look in the mirror and make that change. It, it is such a good quote. And yeah, again, we don't know about the moral side, but uh, very good quote. If it weren't for copyright, we would we would end this and for my lack of technical abilities we would end this <laughs> podcast episode with that song playing so just imagine in your heads and we will see you guys next week <laughs>